This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, welcome back once again to the DLR Cast, the podcast by and for fans of the mighty Diamond One, David Lee Roth. I'm Steve. Along with me, as always, is our good friend from the East Coast, Darren yeah. Palchowitz. Darren, how are you? Good friend from the East Coast. I'll I'll take that. Uh, not everyone <laughs> likes the East Coast. Well, but, I am uh, an, I am a native and love it. You got out when the timing was right. <laughs> there there isn't a winter that goes by that I don't say time to leave the East Coast. But one winter at a time. But anyway, hey, uh, not the happiest of days. I mean, the the news that we got hit with today. I don't know. Did it hit you hard like it hit me? It did. So we got some sad news this morning that we saw Brett Tuggle, keyboardist for David Lee Roth in the beginning for uh, Eat Him and Smile, as well as as well as uh, Sky, the Skyscraper album, died of cancer. He was 70 years old. Uh, so there was a lot of news at the at Rolling Stone, Ultimate Classic Rocks on a bunch of different places. He played not only with Dave, he played with a ton of people from Jimmy Page to the Detroit Wheels, David Coverdale. He's got three co-writes on just like on uh, the skyscraper album just like paradise stand up and was it perfect timing i think i should look again so toured with dave nothing but a great keyboard from i know and was just with as re- recently with apparently he played two decades in fleetwood mac during their reunion era so he did a lot of time with fleetwood mac well i think we have to back up because most of these obituaries or tributes we're seeing are really incomplete when they talk about the work they did with David Lee Roth. They just kind of say, and he co-wrote just like Paradise and he played on the Skyscraper tour. Now, right. we know that he was there for Eat Him and Smile, the tour, not the album. Uh, the We kind of unearthed that Jesse Harms was asked to do that, kind of turned it down, and Brett Tuggle took that. So that was a DLR cast pat on the back right there. But he did the Eat Him and Smile tour. And then Skyscraper, who's on the album and the tour, then a little late enough, he co-wrote stuff, I believe, album and tour. Your Filthy Little Mouth did not play on the album, but played on the tour. There's some like rumblings that Dave might have done some stuff in 96, 97 with Tuggle and Tuggle is back in the fold. We don't know about that. He was there for the John Five mystery album or sessions, whatever they were. He was there and Bissonette was back. And... I would say most importantly, which you're not going to see documented, Tuggle was the music director for the 2019 Vegas run. He was who put the band together. Ultimately, he was going to play keyboard and guitar in that band. There's a couple of photos of him as part of that public rehearsal they did. And ultimately, him and Dave had a falling out of sorts and and Tuggle exited. But Tuggle is who put together this band. Right, right. You are correct. I mean, the media, the the obits has been has been very light. Just gives that cursory information. He co-wrote just like Paradise, right. but he was in Dave's orbit and worked with Dave off and on for a real long time. It's interesting because I was looking. You're hard pressed to find a picture of him with Dave, except for uh, pictures from the skyscraper tour. You got to go right. pretty deep. You got to go pretty deep to find a picture of him with um, with Dave. And I think it's Wadi. Is it Wadi Wachtel, the guitar yeah. player? And and there's I saw a picture with um, uh, with Greg Bissonette, and but again, you like I said, it's it, he was kind of uh, he was involved more than he was behind the scenes, but not really behind the scenes, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. co-writing just like Paradise is big. <laughs> it's big, and when you go down his credits here, you know we you said it earlier, Fleetwood Mac for twenty years, and he was also part of Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham, and McVie Buckingham related touring. But he also did a cover pale, a Coverdale page tour of Japan in '93. I remember reading before right. Dave, he was with Rick Springfield, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, John Kay and Steppenwolf. I think I read he was part of Tommy Shaw's band, Belinda Carlisle's band. Uh, am I missing any key tour? Because I mean that's a lot. Mo- most yeah, it is a they did it is a lot. Dave tour. That's all. <laughs> that that's right. And I I bet he's got a lot of in studio credits too, right? I mean, probably was pretty much in demand as a as a pretty much in demand as a as a studio keyboardist. I'm thinking I would bet. It's super weird. He didn't make an effort to document 
that he was the guy who did all of that. Uh, that's something that I found with certain people. They're successful, but low-key successful. Maybe they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be super out there because people are then going to come to them looking for work. But if you think about it, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, the revolving door that is David Lee Roth's band after Eden that, Smile. <laughs> revolving and, door is being kind. If we talk, Like we joked about before the sheer number of people he's worked with is really extensive and a lot more than people most most fans would know most day fans would know so if tuggle was there for eat him and smile skyscraper a little ain't enough your filthy little mouth again around john five again around the version band 8.0 Vegas run. If he was all those places, doesn't that just tell you that this was a great guy who was talented and easy to work with? I would think so. Definitely flexible, tremendously talented, could play a wide range of music. You tell him what you want, he can probably get it for you musically. And boy, I'll tell you, if he did some recording that we don't know about, I would love to hear it. Like we would love to hear a lot of record. We would love to hear everything that we don't know about from Dave. And speaking of, of course, we have not seen, and I guess this is no surprise, no social media post about it. And the last post that I saw on Facebook from him was March 10th. So with got planes with that post, whatever the hell that means. In fact, looking back, I want to just segue quickly about the social media stuff. When all the, when all the hype, non-hype about the tribute tour popped about nearly two months ago now, with the exception of one, was it a tweet or one thing? I mean, I'm, Dave didn't post about anything about that at all, which was another reason why I thought that this thing was a non-starter to begin with and fizzled yeah. out long fizzled out long before the quote-unquote breaking news from everybody. Yeah, that that is not being talked about. The Mexico private gig, whether he played a quinceanera, a bar mitzvah, a birthday party, whatever he played. <laughs> That kind of came and went, you know, that that hit all the news feeds of people and places that don't usually talk about David Lee Roth for a couple days. And then it went away. And I find that most artists who are really, really smart go, well, here's a wave. OK, let's put out a single. Let's tease something. Let's put out a social media post. Let's do something to play off the fact that everyone is talking about me right now. Nothing. Right. Nothing at all. No. So no surprise, I guess. Yes. Yeah, no so was but, that just a good paying corporate gig and that he just happened to be caught at the airport? <laughs> was that all it was? I, I think that's it. I think that was it. We know the band went down there. Everybody, they had a bunch of, they had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tequila or whatever. Had a good time out in the sun. No, hopefully nobody got COVID and everybody got a decent paycheck. But getting back to Brett Tuggle, I mean, we saw it, like I always call it, Actually, the Daily Mail picked this up. Billboard Magazine, Rolling Stone, Ultimate Classic Rock, as you might expect. Um, Ultimate Classic Rock's first sentence on this was, Brett Tuggle, veteran keyboardist and guitarist who played with Fleetwood Mac, David Lee Roth, Rick Springfield, and dozens of other rockers has reportedly died. His first big career move came in 1970. Yeah. So he was a few years old. At 70, he's a couple years old than Dave. And he was also, it says he continued playing with Roth on tour for 1991's A Little Ain't Enough and 1994's Your Filthy Little Mouth. Yeah, well, there's a, I don't think it's public, uh, but Ron Wixo, who played with Dave on the Your Filthy Little Mouth tour, he on his Facebook page had a tribute to Brett earlier today and talked about how he wound up playing in that era of Roth's band and how he, Brett Tuggle, Jamie Hunting, and who was the fourth? I don't think it was Terry Kilgore. Rocket, maybe it was Rocket Rashad. They had like a Beatles trivia band thing that they did for fun called Four Lads from the Valley. And they would do that all the time. And it was Brett Tuggle singing lead. So that tells you, hey, not only was he a heck of a keyboard player, not only could play guitar, not only could he do all the electronics, which I can tell you a thing about, but obviously he was lead singer caliber as well. Yeah, which... Again, a lot of the people things people don't know about the guy. And one thing that I I knew he was in Fleetwood Mac. I did not know he was in Fleetwood Mac since 97. Yeah. And nor that nor that 
he was dismissed back in 2018 after 21 years of service, says Ultimate Classic Rock. He said he believed it was because Stevie Nicks thought he was too close to the recently ousted Buckingham. In the end, I think Stevie thought I was more in Lindsay camp. He surmi surmised by trying to be Switzerland to all the principles in the Mac. I felt like that was my job. That's probably a Herculean task. And of course, he was just he probably was closer to, to Lindsay because he was just in Lindsay's solo band that went out. Was it last year? A few times. Well, a few days. Add, yeah. To add two things on that, you know, I'm not saying, oh, these people know so little, but he before Fleetwood Mac played with Mick Fleetwood in the zoo, which was sort of a solo band thing for Mick. Right. Right. So yeah. it's not 20 years he played with Fleetwood Mac members. It's like 30 years that he was yeah, around all that mayhem. It's interesting. He said he joined Fleetwood Mac at Fleetwood, Mick Fleetwood's behest for the the dance, the album, the dance TV special and live album, which heralded the return of the band's most successful lineup, which everybody knows. So again, Brett Tuggle, long and distinguished, if not necessarily fully known, career. Uh, it was announced he died of cancer at age seventy, and it's just yet another reminder. As Paul McCartney added his 80th birthday yeah. party. The uh, 80th birthday the other day, and I mean, everybody's getting older here, and 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 70, while not young, it's it's routine to see people now up on stage at age 70 and beyond. Apparently, we're hitting totally uncharted waters when it comes to to rock and roll. And yeah. we talked last week about Dave getting getting older and how much time folks have to do this stuff. So here's to everyone staying healthy, and hopefully we'll hear and or see Dave and the likes of whoever the hell he's playing with again <laughs> live sometime. So I don't know how much more speculation we could do about it at this point. <laughs> we might not educate, but we speculate, but I'm running out of gas on speculation. <laughs> well, I mean, if people go through old episodes of the DLR cast, we'll find that pardon the, the landline. I don't know why I left that plug in. I don't know why we have a landline in 20. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> I think my wife believes that it helped in case of an emergency, but then right. again, if you lost power, then you wouldn't have the landline working. Well, anyway, that's not the point. You can't run out of your house in an emergency with a landline. <laughs> Probably. I thought you called 911 and you're holding an, uh, a phone with, with wire sticking out the back, you know? Exactly. Well, uh, I, I'm sorry. So if you go back to uh, old episodes of the DLR cast, Mike Musselman, who played with Roth in the first Vegas residency and then into some of the Kiss tour before they parted ways, he was recruited by, by uh, Brett Tuggle. He was close friends with Brett's son, Matt, who I think is a Henson recording studio guy. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he's a Henson studio guy. Does that mean that Matt Tuggle knows the status of all the stuff, probably. But Dave has that long-standing relationship with Henson being his studio. So I would have to imagine that this is hitting Dave very hard. Like, even if he parted ways with Brett Tuggle, uh, one of the articles I read said he missed a Lindsey Buckingham gig in April. And Lindsey called him out from, you know, the stage saying, you know, we miss him. We hope he's back soon. He's going through some health stuff. I'd have to imagine, if you think of how many years Dave worked with Eddie Van Halen, you know, what, 1972 to 1984, or, no, no, 85, and then again, like a little bit in 96, and then again, like, oh <laughs> six. Well, a little bit in the early aughts, when most people don't know, as we discovered here on the DLR cast many, many episodes ago. Yeah, but in the case of Tuggle, uh, 80, 85 or 86 unsteadily until 94 with again a little bit in the late 90s and again in the in the early 2000s and again in the 2015 and then the, like that is a long-standing friendship relationship that they had and if we don't see a Dave public tribute that would just be horrifying uh, by my account yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I, it wouldn't make, it would bum me out a bit. I mean, I get it. You definitely make some sort of tribute to, to Eddie for sure. Yeah. If you're going to stay quiet about Brett, you should stay quiet on everything, I guess. But I also won't begrudge anybody to grieve privately. I mean, we just have no idea what the hell is going on. I mean, it was certainly expected for Dave to do something. And I thought it was really classy, just that post, right? That yeah. one post about Eddie's passing. So, 
But uh, now, if I can play devil's advocate right here, I, I think I like Skyscraper about 20 times more than you do, judging by the three copies of it that I own on vinyl. But <laughs> I love Skyscraper. It's I, I do, too. I truly do. But, you know, where would David Lee Roth be as a solo artist without Just Like Paradise? And I say that because the more interviews that we tape for this, the more we read, the less we hear that Dave really wrote a lot of the material like obviously the lyrics are him the vocal melodies are him but as more time goes on the more we hear it's like somebody brought a song to him and he kind of edited it he refined it a little bit so that said where would his solo career have gone had just like paradise never happened well certainly skyscraper wouldn't have been as successful i mean that was a number six song i mean it was all over radio it was huge it certainly sold sold the album sold tickets on the tour i gotta disagree a little bit as far as the songwriting prowess i think dave is a better musician than people think he certainly can play guitar better than most people think and most people know uh writing coming up with a vocal melody is not easy and and putting in lyrics i mean that's a big portion of the songwriting process and we have no idea too i mean he's obviously as we know from all these interviews he He's extremely hand on, hands on, and he's not. It's not an Elvis thing where you get the writing credit because you're performing on it, right? I mean, because it's because it's your name. It's it's your name spinning around on the record. You're he's getting the songwriting credit because he's actually helping write and form uh, form that song. I mean, we have no idea. It could be in the studio or in a writing session. We're like, you know what? Why don't we go back to that chorus another time? Or should we do a bridge here? And I got this idea. I mean, I'm not saying every song he's doing that on, but I'm just thinking there could it could be more collaborative than. I think it's I think it's pretty collaborative. No, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to give you uh, to quote Pootie. It's Tank, not Lennon and McCartney collaborative. I get it. But no, and, we know, and we know Dave would ride around in his 51 lowrider Mercury or whatever the hell it was, writing the lyrics to 19. But that was his way of working. But I mean, I think you got to be pretty damn creative to come up with those vocal melodies and do what he's doing. And especially on the no. solo stuff. Especially on the solo stuff, the way he uh, layered those uh, solo stuff and, as we saw in A Different Kind of Truth, really laid, layered those those background melodies and, and, and the background vocals. Yeah, okay, I, I'm with you there. Maybe did more arranging, let's say, but I mean... Where I'm not with you is, the like, if we go back to our Robbie Neville interview, you take the song A Little Ain't Enough, and Robbie Neville wrote it, demoed, right. okay. gave it to him, sang it like him, and went... Here you go. And it was called uh, Living in Living in Luxury. And there was a couple other songs right. on sure. that album that were just outright covers and the writing credits got disputed. I, I was reading about that. I don't know when he stopped being so hands on like Eat Him and Smile. I think he was way the leader of that whole thing. It's a question, though, if Skyscraper, because in some of the Brett Tuggle articles, he, he the Rolling Stone one, I think, from 2020 in the middle of COVID. Did you read that one? Uh, probably, probably. I can't necessarily remember. Great. But he basically sat down and wrote it. And I know Steve I has a credit, a writing credit on there. I'm going to assume that, you know, the guitar solo and the riff was him. And the lyrics were Dave. That that's where my mind is kind of going with that. That it just it's a very keyboardy song because if you think about it, there's no bass guitar. It's keyboard bass. Which song? Just like Paradise. Yes. Yeah, it's actually the it's um it's that credit is just Dave and Brett. I think Steve Vai has a co-writer. Unless the unless the CD booklet changed, I'm I was cranking skyscraper today because I hadn't in a long time and just it just it's always a great record to pop in anytime, especially in the summertime. But oh. yeah, I've got I've got three credits just like Paradise and uh, what else was he on? He was on Stand Up. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's not on, but co-write co-write Stand Up and Perfect Timing. So, hmm. well, uh, either way, uh, I just. You know, sometimes you have to take the step back and go, where would that person be without blank? Just like Paradise is one of those songs that everybody knows, but they don't necessarily know it's David Lee Roth, the guy from Van Halen singing it. You know what I mean? They're, they're like, everyone knows we will rock you. But do they necessarily know if they're six years old that that's Queen? No. But people know just like Paradise, hence it being in that Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, hence... It appears in Rock of Ages. 
it's just one of those songs that people know without the artist. And you have yeah, to- people, I think people find out pretty quickly who it is, you know, I mean, and, yeah. but it, to answer your earlier question, I don't think a skyscraper would, wouldn't have done nearly as well as it, as it did without just like paradise. I mean, ju- just like paradise always sounded to me like we always sounded to me like, if not outwardly going, I need a keyboard based hit. Like my old band had, I'm swing. If you're not outwardly doing that, you are outwardly swinging for the fences here for a hit for the summertime. Yeah, and for it for a hit record because yeah. for all its all its its amazing, ama- for all its amazing excellence, Edom and Smile, Yankee Rose was a rock hit at yeah. rock radio. It wasn't a pop hit. Right, I'm totally with you there. And stand up. Weren't there only two videos for the skyscraper album? Was it only just like Paradise and Stand Up? I think you're right. Yeah, there was certainly both, both Brett songs. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, so obviously he meant a lot to that band. Uh, the longevity, the quality. Uh, one thing that came up in the Rocket Rashad uh, interview that we did was that Brett actually had the keyboard stems to jump from Warner Brothers. And that was one of the reasons why Dave really wanted to keep him around, because he had the actual sounds. <laughs> Not everyone did. That's kind of genius unto itself. Indeed. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, he his name came up in a lot of interviews that I've done on the record and off the record. I I'd last tried to in, uh, get at time with him for this podcast two weeks ago. I, I actually didn't know he was sick. I, I missed the Lindsey Buckingham announcement kind of thing. So mm. big loss um, creatively, as you said before, you know, very smartly, you know, hey, our favorite people are not getting any younger. You got to see them while you can. It's uncharted waters. The moment I see a hashtag with some artist's name or actor's name, it's all of a sudden trending, I go, <gasps> Who died? <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah, but. yeah. Like, who in the world says, like, oh, the quiet keyboard player that always was smiling, that's the guy that's going to go? No, you would think, like, it's the party, loud, boisterous people who are going to go. You never, you wouldn't be able to tell, like, that, anything like that. So, the ultra sad. Ultra, definitely, definitely ultra sad. All right. Well, not ultra sad, but definitely loud party people and boisterous. And that's a compliment. That's also another Steve killer segue into this week's interview. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. Gary Marino. Gary Marino was a pleasure to speak with. And we found him because he actually takes the time to listen to the show. The nerve of that guy. (laughs) I got to tell you, and I'm not sucking up, though. I will tell you, I am very good at it. I had a blast talking to this guy. He is fun as hell. And I'm, I mean, we could have talked to him for another two hours, certainly more stuff about Dave. So he, he's not only a fan and a listener, but he also worked with Dave when Dave did a test run for his radio show in Boston that yeah. later was launched at K-Rock, taken over in New York and other markets, taken over when Howard Stern left terrestrial radio. So Gary gives some really interesting insights there. We could have covered some more ground on that note, but he also talks about hanging with Dave and hanging with Sammy and just a lot of the things he does in the New England area. And if I was out there, I'd be seeing this guy multiple times because his stand-up show and his music and comedy review, he'll get into it all. You'll see in the show notes. But it's a hell of a lot of fun. He just seems like a really funny and great guy. Yeah, World Gone Crazy is his comedy band. But you said, hey, Dave and Sammy, New England, and you didn't mention Gary Sharon, who also factors into the stories. Yes, and Gary Sharon factors into <laughs> Gary Sharon very, very early on in his entertainment life. So you'll have to listen in and find out how. Yeah, so Gary's one of those guys who's not only, you know, doing the events where he's on stage performing them, but he's producing them. He's writing the stuff. He was writing for a lot of different radio shows. He was on Regis and Kelly way back when. It's one of those guys with all these credits, but not necessarily they're all in the same place. He's one of those guys who go, you did that too, and that too, and that too. So I believe uh, you, you look him up through a Harmon, H-A-R-M-O-N, Marino Live, or Gary Marino, et cetera, and you'll find him that way. Good guy, fun interview, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and I'm glad he reached out to you. It's That's really cool how that happened. 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure he's going to be listening as it comes up in the conversation, but he's going to be listening to this intro and he's going to go, no, Brett Tuggle joined the band in December 1985. You guys don't know what you're talking about. He he just knows that much about rock. Right. He knows that much. He's got an amazing memory. I got to tell you, I mean, to flash back to some uh, to a lot of his hangs and stuff with people, it was really cool to hear those stories. Absolutely. And that's not the only interview that we have coming. So more coming soon. That's a threat and a promise. Exactly. And if you've got some Dave news or played with Dave or hung out with Dave or mopped <laughs> Dave, Dave's floors and got some insight, you can email us at the DLRcast at Outlook.com. So that's the DLRcast at Outlook.com. If I can do a weirdo tease before we cut off, <laughs> refresh my memory. Have we ever talked about the Dave TV webcasts that he did through DavidLeeRoth.com in the late 90s? We touched on it a little bit, because not really in depth. Somebody who's listened to the show sent me a couple of episodes on it on, on CD, and I'm still mentally trying to process what the hell I, I heard. And <laughs> so this is this is pre obviously pre this is was this on Dave's first website? Yeah, the one that eventually was taken down because of and the suit or whatever is Slaughterhouse. All oh, right, Slaughter. That's right. Well, I don't even that's right. They were like, I can never tell what that was. Is this official? Is it official fan thing? What? I got oh dude, I'm having flashbacks. It was that was very early on. And Lord knows this was before broadband and Wi-Fi and everything <laughs> late 90s. So I probably gave up a couple of times trying to trying to uh, trying to access that website. Because if I remember, it was somewhat was it somewhat graphics heavy, too. I think it was yep. I mean, for what it was at the time for Dave News and information, it was very interesting. Yeah, uh, I was I, it S.L.A.W.T.E.R., I think. Exactly. And what I remember reading in doing some research was that they were suing him for like a hundred thousand dollars in unpaid bills. Uh, my theory, and this is the theory that I have, and I don't know if anyone knows that this is the story. My theory is he put up all this stuff on his website without realizing, Oh, there's costs to actually people streaming your stuff. As far as paying royalties or no, cost the a host or, yeah, when you're hosting stuff and people are are streaming it, they're uploading it, they're downloading it, etc. It's bandwidth. And most people, I remember Adam Carolla was talking about this when he started up his podcast. He got a bill like a couple weeks later for 14 grand and he went, wait, what what for? And I went, well, people high volume, they're they're taking your stuff. Back then, yeah, when you didn't have that kind of bandwidth and storage and stuff, sure. Yeah, so that, that would be my unproven theory as to what the, why there would be a $100,000 dispute about that whole thing. Because I read that Roth put up a single in 97 through his website for free download, the Private Parts soundtrack for Howard Stern. He wrote a song called Private Parts that didn't make the soundtrack. He rewrote it for the DLR band album, and he went, hey, it's free to download on my website. And you go, so in 1997... Dave was giving music for free on his website and doing an early form of podcasting. Okay, what? how come? Have you ever looked for that on YouTube? The the private parts of the uh, Dave TV. They, no, Dave's song that he allegedly gave for the private part soundtrack. Because if uh, this was downloadable, somebody would have posted it years later up on YouTube. It, it's on YouTube. Um, I think it became the song Tight on the DLR band album. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the themes that we have here is Crazy from the Heat is the name of the book, the screenplay, the EP, and a lyric in Going Crazy. There's certain <laughs> things it just kind of does over and over and over again. Dave TV was in the Just a Gigolo in California Girls video, I believe. <laughs> uh, Dave TV is the radio show. And I'm sure he's in a million interviews referred to things as being on Dave TV. So... Um, Dave Dave does like to recycle various <laughs> themes and memes, right? The Mojo Dojo, yes. um, right? That was that just comes to mind. There's a few others I know. But we have we have a, a friendly listener to the show who is saying the number of songs writ with lyrics by Dave, where the title is little or big, 
is a pretty long list. Oh man, that's true. <laughs> it is a long list. Just off the, thinking off the top of my head. Are you kidding? Big Trouble. Yeah, Little Dreamer. <laughs> uh, uh, Little Texas. Little Texas. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. So uh, I guess when you have a good idea, you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And that, you know, we have a good idea. So that's why there's just more and more podcasts. That's right. That's why that's why we keep going at this. So <laughs> as always, thanks for downloading and streaming, giving us a listen. Check us out. I think you can give you can give ratings. I think ratings help us. We never beg or grovel for ratings at iTunes, but what the hell? We might as well once or twice. As always, if you have half as much fun listening to us as we do having fun doing this, well, that's a victory for us. Yes. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Steve, for scheduling and making it happen. My pleasure. So, Gary, we are connected on this whole thing because you listened to the show. We heard from you. Right. Before we get into all that world gone crazy, tell us more about it because, you know, people should hear this. So World Gone Crazy is it's a comedy rock and roll band. I started about 10 years ago here in the Boston area, um, somewhat inspired by Dave and the way he always had a sense of humor on stage, but um, also inspired by a lot of the, the Boston comedians who guys who, you know, back in the day would come out and do 25 minutes of amazing stand up and then reach around and grab an electric guitar yeah. and do amazing musical comedy. And all of a sudden, you know, the club has turned into a rock show. So it was inspired by all of that. But uh, we've been around about 10 years. We do clubs, resorts, special events. We're on Nantucket for two shows in July. And, uh, um, you know, pretty much um, throughout the New England area, although we've ventured into Southern Cal, we've ventured into uh, Southwest Florida. Um, and it's, Listen, imagine it's stand up with a rock and roll soundtrack. It's a live band mm -hmm. of, of uh, you know, comedic musicians and it's rapid fire. Don't think Weird Al. Don't think, you know, amusing song parodies. Think boom. Think, you know, mm -hmm. um, nonstop. It's like Blue Man Group. It just never stops, you know. And it's um, it's like I said, it's song parodies, it's fake commercials, it's impressions, it's lots of stand up. We set up every bit with stand up. We come out of it with stand up. It's fake sponsors, and then we, the last fourth of the show is audience interactive. We we get the audience involved, which is what they want uh, more than ever post COVID. And we do the misread lyrics contest, which is we you know we sing the songs the way everybody always screwed up the lyrics, and the audience members come up and right. you know sing it the right way and win prizes and you get it. It's, it's, it's a live band of, of comics. And, and I have to call this out before we really get into it. Boston comics, yeah. the number of successful Boston comics that happen to love Dave is just off the charts here. Like yeah. Bill Burr, he had a podcast about how starstruck he was when he saw Greg Bissonette at the comedy store. Right. We hear, you know, when I interviewed Dana Gould, he was talking about how starstruck he was when he saw Eddie Van Halen at a Staples or something like that, or yes. Ralph's. And Mark Marin, not a Boston guy, but part of the Boston scene, he got the rare Dave interview. So Boston yeah. comedy and Dave go way back like yourself. And yeah. you've had a lot of success in radio as a stand-up, et cetera. And one of the awesome things about you is you worked on the Dave test shows in Boston <laughs> before he came and went national in New York. Uh, how did that happen? Well, uh, you're right. I did a little bit of consulting for, for Dave's test run here in Boston. It was March of 2005. And um, I had done something the year before, guys, called the Million Calorie March, which was a big national event. I was on Regis and Kelly all over the news. It, was, it had gotten a lot of, of, of media attention. And the, the folks at CBS Radio um, here in Boston had called me in after that and uh, said, you know, Stern is leaving, heading to satellite, and we're not sure if we're going to go back to local morning shows in all these markets or we're going to come up with one or two personalities to take over for Howard and all the, you know, all the markets. And they basically said, if, would you be interested if we go local and, and, you know, putting together a morning show? I said, absolutely. And um, I produced a pilot for them and everything, which they really loved, called Morning Breath Radio. Um, 
And then they called me in again and said, you know, David Lee Roth is coming uh, in for a week worth of shows on WZLX here in Boston to uh, try out for the same job. And I'm like, wow, I would love to lose to that guy. <laughs> Being the fanboy, it was. And um, so basically- I, I got to cut you off there. I never heard that. I didn't realize you were competing in a way. Steve, is that is that the best <laughs> thing you've heard today or what? <laughs> True story. True story. So basically, yeah, they had me tune in for the week and give my, um, you know, my opinion at the end of the week. Did I think Dave could do it? And here's the truth. Here's what I told him. I said, you know, Dave for that week was, was, it was very different than the show he ended up doing. He basically did what he did all through the eighties at radio stations across the country. He, he got on and he was just the funniest and the coolest and full of energy. And uh, he had a really good week. But what I said to the, the suits at CBS, I said, here's my advice. Howard wasn't as successful as he was just because of Howard. It was all about the team. It was Robin. It was the producers. It was that whole support team. I said, put the right team around this guy. He absolutely can do it. He is so smart. He's so compelling. Um, and whatever you, whatever you do, guys, don't, he's a rock star. Don't give him 100% creative control. <laughs> Lead that singer disease can happen advice. on radio. <laughs> yeah. That was my final advice. Uh, <laughs> I didn't ask for any consulting fee. I just asked if I could go in and meet the man um, when he was in Boston, which I did. And uh, lo and behold, I don't know how many months later, there he was on Stern announcing not only that he had the job, but they'd given him 100% creative control. <laughs> Which, which in retrospect, your advice uh, should have been followed, I must say. Thank you. I'm like Forrest Gump, Steve. Just, <laughs> just follow me, buddy. I'll, I'll tip you off in the right direction. So did I read correctly that his crew in Boston, besides you consulting on it, Matt yeah. Sensio was kind of working the phones yeah. a little bit and the board. Hutch, who yeah. went with them to CBS Radio, was there. Was there anybody else that you remember? And I realize I'm asking you about 15 plus years ago. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to think who else was involved. I, I mean, I think there was a lot of people like me that they had had tune in and, and, and you know, really tune in to see if he had it. Because I had a radio background anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that was the basic team. There might have been a few of the, the regulars from the then ZLX morning team who sat in with Dave as well. But it was really good. It was a great week of radio. <laughs> And I was lucky that I did get to go in and meet him and Matt. Uh, I, I met Matty Sencio, who I've gotten to know quite a bit. And uh, it was a good it was a good week. Yeah. And Matt Sencio, all these years later, remains such a mystery in that he got brought up occasionally in interviews. I remember Howard once said his name on the air. Uh, right. When you hear Frank Meyer or people who worked with Dave talk about, you know, 1999, maybe to 2006, Matt's name comes up. But like, what does he look like? No. Where does he live? <laughs> what does he do? I know what John Sensio looks like. Right. But Matt has, has become this mysterious shadow figure. He's like Bin Laden. But, you know, <laughs> if you think about it, guys, next to next to Noel Monk, who wrote the book Running with the Devil, yeah. who's got a better story to tell than Matt Sensio? He rebuilt Roth. He, he came on at a time with Dave in the late 90s um, with not, by the way, very much management experience, if any at all. But he came on and rebuilt his career from 99 all the way through those reunions. They would not have happened without Matt Sensio. And I, I talked to, to Matt uh, not too long ago, who told me that I asked him how he pulled it off, because none of us ever thought these factions would ever reunite, right? Right. If you go back to 2005, right? And basically what I learned from Matt is that he, he became really tight with the Van Halen brothers themselves, and they trusted him. He also went to Berkeley. He had a, a music background. Um, and so he, he was able to work with them on all kinds of stuff that your, your normal manager couldn't. He also, and this will blow you away, did the sound checks during all of the reunion tours. You know how Rock didn't do sound checks? A lot of the time, it was none other than Matt Sensio out there on the mic or in the sound check. What? <laughs> True story. Heard it right from him myself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is... 
mind-blowing now another thing i've heard about matt was he was like grappling buddies with dave true so every morning true. he said he every morning he said he'd go out to the house in pasadena and he felt that that helped him build trust with dave because they would be you know um fighting pretty hard in the morning you know yes. in dave's Dave's karate studio, and you know, yeah, you got to trust your manager's not going to off your head off, I guess. Wow. So, you know, before him was Eddie Anderson, who was his longtime bodyguard, security guard, babysitter in the Van Halen era, who basically morphed from an assistant to a manager. And I'm sure he had a lot of physicality to what he had to do. It's kind of funny that the next guy also had to be physical and able to tend to Dave on a 24 seven basis. Whereas what I've heard from reliable people is Dave's current handler is basically his an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah that sounds like it to me. I am, um, look, I'm Dave's biggest fan. I can't imagine the eighties without that guy and what my life would be. That said, I've lost a plot. If we're talking. <laughs> that is a perfect analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime around 2012, guys, I just lost the plot. Love them, respect them, want them to be happy. But um, yeah, the last 10 years is a bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> uh, for all of us too. No, it, it's definitely a mystery for us too. And, and it kind of all comes back around. I was thinking just now, um, you know, what you said about during the radio test thing. And, and I think we've, we've seen this with him all along that, you know, too much of, of an amazing, incredible, groundbreaking, awesome, hilarious thing is just often too much. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? It's true. Yeah. I'm a huge, massive fan, but there's, I get those moments where it's like, whether it's an interview or whether it's, I remember him on the air, you know, and it's just like, somebody reel this in, pull this in. You, it sounds like in just a few minutes here, would have been perfect for that role, a true actual coast. I remember this from the different erstwhile podcasts that he did where there was maybe somebody else there, but it was just, uh, you know, I don't have the attention span for rambling soliloquies a lot of times, even though I'm fond of doing them myself. But even though know, he works with me, you uh, need something. <laughs> you need something to kind of reel it in and bring it back around. And you probably know this, I'm sure, more than anybody. Given you have to have, have that ability as a stand-up. And Dave yeah. takes so much from stand-up and showbiz, but yet sometimes it'll just go way into deeper places only his mind can fathom. He's not of this world. We all know it. I remember doing one of our World Gone Crazy shows. It was the night after the um, the band had played. Um, it was the night before. It was the night after the band had played at Boston Garden for the uh, um, different kind of troop tour. And I remember saying, "Hey, everybody! The good news is is Van Halen's back with David Lee Roth." And they all went crazy. And I said, "The bad news is we just need Dave to get back with David Lee Roth." <laughs> It was at least some discipline during the Van Halen reunion. We talk about this all the time yeah. where there was very, very few interviews during that time. So there was some, there was a mystery to it. It was somewhat refreshing. Um, you know, yeah. the, by the end, by 2015, I think the, uh, they gave him a little bit too much during the, the play along with Dave ice cream, acoustic solo lead in bit, you know, but yeah. I, I'll give Eddie and everybody a pass the rest of the guys on that just to take a break, you know, but yeah. that's kind of gone awry without a without kind of that leash, if you will, that I think Van Halen, uh, the Van Halen reunion brought and along with management and everything else behind the scenes there. That's the question. And I hope someday you can talk to Matt Sancio because he's a really fascinating uh, guy to talk to and, and you know, super smart, um, great energy to him. But it's Look, the reunion tour in 2007 and 8 was was next to the classic tours. I saw them when I was a puppy. I saw them on the Women and Children First tour. Mm -hmm. I saw them on Fair Warning when I was literally too young to be there. Um, the reunion tour 2007, 2008 might be my favorite Dave besides, you know, the, the classic. And where I lost the plot was really, um, um, you know, the different kind of truth tour, although I love the record and all. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave came out and, and I, I just, I felt like, I don't know, he was just in a different place. I, I didn't get the whole stage thing, you know, that he was doing. Um, and I still loved, you know, I still love him, but I, I didn't get it. And then by yeah. the time we get to the final tour, I'm going, I, I'm, 
I'm in a whole different place now. <laughs> Gary, I'm with you. And I figured it out after listening to a lot of bootleg stuff, you know, especially the Tokyo Dome stuff and where the band is just on fire. And he sounds in so much of those reunion shows, he, I thought he sounded great in 2000, 2007, 2008. And we have a long running conversation here that, you know, the people who complain the loudest about Dave just won't give him any slack at all as far as his vocals go. I thought he sounded fine. He never screwed up lyrics at the times I saw them on the reunion stuff. But here was the difference, though, and you're right about this after 2007, 2008. What you heard, this unbelievable aggression and his vocals sounded great. When you saw it in person, it was like a, he's you don't smile during, you know, have that big game show host grin during somebody get me a doctor. Do you know what I mean? It it's just, it, it never fit for me. I'm watching these videos. I spent hours. I love all that. You know, that's one of the, yeah. of course, one of the beauties of YouTube is that you get all this stuff that you ordinarily wouldn't see if you never, if you didn't, if that show didn't come to your town or if yeah. only, maybe only came around once, but there was such a disconnect between what I was hearing, this band firing on all cylinders and, killing and eddie's killing and dave sounding great and the set list were fantastic again some of those songs yeah you beautiful girls that's upbeat but you know there's like it it just it, it was it just didn't connect for me and i, I only recently I figured that figured that out in listening to some of those songs uh, yeah. from the last two tours and seeing it in on video and by the time we get to the 2015 tour um i mean let's face it he was all comic and he was trying to fill in, I think, the blanks for what he couldn't do vocally anymore with being funny, which was fine. But there was times when it was like, no, I, I like you said, I don't want you to be funny, man. Let's just rock it, you know. And, and maybe couldn't do acrobatically and stuff. I knew I I I I don't want to say I knew we were in trouble when I saw the dance floor on the stage, but I wondered what the hell was going to, what? <laughs> you know? I know. So I, I've, I'll always applaud him for trying different things and being different than any other lead singer on earth, yeah. but doesn't mean he's got a perfect streak and it's going to be fantastic every time. I mean, some stuff is just not going to hit. That must have been an interesting negotiation with the Van Halen brothers putting the dance floor in there in front of the <laughs> You want to do but what? <laughs> do you remember when he first kicked the tour off, he had the, the Janet Jackson mic? That yes. kind of thought we were in trouble. Yes, thank you so much. I hated that. And yeah. I can remember a bunch of comments going, what does he think? He's Sammy Hagar? Because Sammy had that, <laughs> do you remember, during the VOA days and stuff, on the solo shows, he had a wireless I, mic for a while. I oh, yeah. don't remember that. I never made that connection that Sammy had the Janet Jackson mic. And let's face it, we all see that and we think Janet Jackson. There's no other artist. I don't think of that as the Madonna mic. I always thought of that as the Janet Jackson mic. It, That's didn't, right. last, it didn't last very long, mercifully. <laughs> You're right. By the time he got to Boston, it was gone. Thank God. Did you guys go to, did you guys ever see the Sam and Dave tour 20 years ago? I did outside of Chicago. And, and that was, I was, I will say I was disappointed. You were. I was, I thought Dave sounded great. The band sounded great, but it was just at that point, I'm like, okay, well, he's going full on pretty much Van Halen cover band yeah. here. Yeah. which is his want, you know, he's a founding member. He wrote every lyric, uh, you know, but yeah. I'm also a huge fan of the solo, the solo stuff. So I'd like to hear more than just two songs from the solo era. But it, it, when I think when you're any sort of classic or veteran act at all in any type of entertainment, you have to bridge that gap. What the, what the majority of people want to hear. And then those folks that are like, really want to hear a little bit more and something you got to go with what brought you there, I guess. You're but, right. But if we're going to call him uh, out on that, we got to call Sammy out for his uh, song list, which I thought delved way into a lot of other stuff. I would have loved him to do um, um, more of the Van Hagar stuff and then more of his own, you know, he's got a great back uh, sure. catalog, you know? Um, but I was um, I was at that show at the Mansfield Center here at the Great Woods and um, ended up backstage meeting Ray Luzier, who uh, you know oh. was Dave's drummer. Who's yeah, you always hear what a great guy he is, and he's the most humble, sweet guy. So I'm talking to him um, with my brother, and um, a couple of the band members came over, and someone said, "Hey, anybody up for Club Dave on the bus?" And I'm going, "Club Dave." I thought that was like the '84 tour. That was apparently code for let's go on the, the tour bus and party. And, you know, so I said, sure, we'll go. <laughs> Meanwhile, I met these guys five minutes earlier. 
I end up staying on the on David Lee Roth's tour bus with his band in his texts and all of them till about 2 a.m. until I finally said to my brother, hey, we got to get out of here. And he goes, why? I said, because we're either going to wake up in New York where the tour's going <laughs> or at some point they're going to go, who the hell are you two? <laughs> and wake up halfway between. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great memories, though. And I met Sammy then, too, who was an absolute sweetheart. I spent a little bit of time with him. Um, very different than Dave. When I met Dave, I didn't want to get too deep into it, you know, because I, I held him up so high. I didn't want him to say anything and I didn't want to say anything. I wanted to, I wanted to be good. I didn't want to not like this guy after everything he had done uh, for my youth. So I kept it uh, professional. I kept it simple and he was great, you know, but he was very much a rock star. Sure. In rock star mode at that time, whereas Sammy, when I met him, um, had Sammy had, had kind of lightened up to me because I, at the end of his set, he invites everybody out on the, I was on the stage, you know, the Cabo Wabo seats. And he invites everybody out to center stage for the last song, right? And do you remember he used to hire for that tour strippers to come and serve us drinks? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. on the tray. Yeah. Yeah. After every song, you'd go, ladies, and they'd come out with like margaritas for those of us in the Cabo Wabo seats. So I'm standing out there at center stage. It's the last song of the night. I got Sharon on my left because he was there. I got Michael Anthony there. I've got Sammy on my right. And I've got all these strippers. I don't know what to do. You know, we're singing, dancing, having a good time. It's like the final 30 seconds. And I, I don't know what took over my comedy brain, but I took a $1 bill out of my wallet and I looked at Sammy and he looked at me and I jammed the dollar in her cleavage and he fell over laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he kind of came over to me, threw his arm around me, took a picture, and I ended up backstage. And uh, great memory for a Van Halen fan. Great no memory. doubt. Yeah. Something you just said there, and Sharon was next to me. I don't think that the majority of people realize that Gary Sharon was on good terms with Sammy Hagar in that era, in 2002, 2003, when that tour was. Most people... I, I don't think that we saw Sammy Hagar and, and Gary Schroen in public together until maybe five years ago. Steve, do you remember that? The Hagar Sharon public love I, fest? I don't, but it wouldn't surprise me if their paths crossed many times before given, you know, extreme and, you know, was touring so regularly through the nineties. Right. I mean, and at least, you know, in their heyday and, I, I can't imagine. I don't know. I w can't imagine Hagar would hold anything against Gary Sharon because it wasn't like he replaced Hagar. He replaced an empty mic stand because <laughs> do you know what I'm saying?